Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now radio check. Now radio check for order. Half hour is to go. 50,000 watts. Oh, that sound is beautiful. This is Bradley J on Air Control. Well, it's 12.09. I believe it's the 7th now of uh, this month, June. And it was, by the time I got a pretty spectacular day, it was beautiful. And uh, we're looking at three more beautiful, beautiful, extra beautiful days in a row. Sunny, warm, dry. Hopefully I'll, I'll take advantage of those days and hopefully you will too. If you can get out and enjoy them, please make the effort. Our number is 617-254-1030. And I tell you that because I'm going to invite you to call. A lot of times when we have guests, I don't because the time is limited. This time I am going to. We're going to take a look at the radical originalist philosophy of Justice Clarence Thomas and how it may, like it or not, be a blueprint for the Supreme Court of the future. And our guest is Myron Magnet, and the book is Clarence Thomas and the Lost constitution thanks for being with us such a pleasure to be with you bradley you're calling us from new york city you bet oh, good it's a, where it's hot and sticky unlike how beautiful it sounds in boston really how hot and how how sticky really really hot and really sticky wow all right well you're welcome to hang around in boston that <laughs> sounds good to me all right so let's take a look at the constitution of the framer's imagination, and later we'll, we'll get to what we have now. But can you spell it out for us as you see it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was something astonishing. So what is the original Constitution? Well, it's the document that the framers wrote at the Convention of 1787 and improved by the Bill of Rights a couple of years later and then perfected by the Reconstruction Amendments and then the 19th Amendment that gave women the vote. So and you include the Reconstruction Amendments as 13, 14, 15? That's it. To refresh that's folks' it. memory, uh, 13th was a 1865, that one abolished slavery, and then the 14th defines... Uh, the 14th clothes freed slaves in all of the rights and privileges of citizenship of the United States against the states. So that means that all the rights enumerated in the Bill of Rights can't be infringed by state governments. And then, of course, the 15th Amendment gives freed slaves the vote. Um, And, you know, this was a costly, costly change in the the Constitution because it took nearly 400,000 Union dead to set men free. Uh, and then there were these 
these uh, amazing amendments and lots of laws to back them up. And then we have the 19th Amendment giving women the vote. And the thing about this Constitution is that it was the machinery to make a reality of the Declaration of Independence's dream that all men are created equal and everybody is endowed with the right to forge his own happiness in his own way, in his family, in his local community. This was something just unexampled in human history, a self-governing republic with this, with this kind of freedom. Uh, and, and what happened subsequently is that, as I argue in the book, is that this amazing constitution got subverted by in, in sort of three discrete acts. And the first of them, for Clarence Thomas, is in some ways the most tragic. So we have these Reconstruction Amendments making the Civil War count. And the Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas's own court, gets two cases, one in 1873 and one in 1876, asking, well, what does the 14th Amendment really mean? And in both these decisions, the court majority says, no, 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 and they're, they're the weirdest decisions you can possibly read. No, 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 the, the rights that, these, um, that the 14th Amendment confers are things like the right not to be subject to bills of attainder, or the right to protection on the high seas, or to sail on interstate waterways. And so the Supreme Court itself just blows away the protection that the whole Civil War was meant to provide to black citizens in the South, and leads to 90 years of Jim Crow in the South. Clarence Thomas says, hey, this is personal to me. I grew up in Savannah under segregation. I couldn't walk through this park. I couldn't use the good library. I know what government oppression is like. And that, you know, was just a tragic, tragic uh, subversion of the original of the original Constitution. Okay. Was, this, was this the beginning of what you referred to as an ongoing constitu uh, constitutional convention? No, oh, that, that, was starts, that starts with Woodrow Wilson, yeah. yeah. And that's, I mean, and, and here's the thing. So Woodrow Wilson says, okay, here are the founders, these uh, antique figures in wigs and silk stockings, um, and they have nothing to do with the modern world, which moves fast and which is scientific. And we've passed the age of constitutionalism anyway. We're in the age of administration. So we need things that really can keep up with evolving reality in a Darwinian way. And so we need a living constitution. This is Woodrow Wilson's phrase. And that means that we need the court to be sitting as a permanent constitutional convention making up laws as it goes along, uh, making them up like a, like a legislature and carrying them out like an executive and adjudicating and punishing infractions of them like a judiciary. So no separation of powers whatsoever. And as Franklin Roosevelt, who supervised this system later, said, um, 
it has no basis in the Constitution whatsoever. But Wilson's idea was this scientific age needed this army of highly trained Ivy League nonpartisan experts who knew better than the rest of us how to, how to arrange life for modern conditions. The point is that, you know, what makes the original Constitution so modern, even 232 years after the convention, makes it avant-garde even today, is that purpose that it has to guarantee liberty and, of course, to, to expect self-reliance. And what Wilson's idea was, Wilson says, you know, people talk a lot of nonsense about inalienable rights, but it's all vague, and we don't really know what that means in practice. His model was something different. He taught himself German to read all these, you know, incomprehensible German philosophers, Hegel and his followers. And their model was Frederick the Great, the enlightened despot of Prussia. And, uh, you know, it's true that Frederick the Great had a wonderful civil service and it was a beautifully functioning society. But what they all believed is that the rights that you had came from the state and the state was there to give you those rights. It's not like anything came from your human nature or from the creator. They came from the state. You More like a, a privilege. Creature. Yeah, you were a creature of the state. Uh, and... And uh, this, this is so that, so that there's no idea of self-government. There's no idea that you can decide to do for yourself what you think is best. There's no idea that you can make your own fate. You're just a cog in this, in this enormous machine. How Wilson could have thought that despotism, however enlightened, could be better than self-governing liberty is beyond me. But, you know, we kind of have... It, it seems to me, Bradley, you know, there's so much bitterness and anger in our politics today. And I think that what has happened now is that we have two separate ideas of the Constitution. We have sort of two parties. We have the let's, what we can call the Freedom Party, of which Justice Thomas is a principal representative, which believes in, in, in the Constitution that guarantees liberty and demands self-reliance. And then you have the Fairness Party, which believes that there are all these judges and experts who are there to protect workers, to protect the disadvantaged, to protect this or that victim group, and that that, in its inclusiveness, constitutes real democracy. And it's all made up out of out of Supreme Court precedent and bureaucratic regulation, and that's democracy. Well, you know, there's no, there's no talking between these two parties because they have ultimately incommensurate ends, incommensurate ideas of what our government is about. And it's what makes these confirmation hearings such such. Uh, deadly dramas really let me ask this uh, where, let me ask this yeah. before i forget how to phrase it are yeah. you saying that this taking care of the so-called disadvantaged and, the, and being forced to do so by the government is infringing upon personal liberty well i mean it it depends putting it that way makes it sound awfully cold-hearted is it not that um, way 
but and, and maybe cold hearted is okay. It's a, you know it's a tough world. Get a helmet. Look, the, 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 what what made America so terrific when when uh, the great political philosopher Tocqueville came here in the 1830s was, in his view anyway, is he said, you know, Americans run things themselves. Uh, they run things in their own communities. So they need a school. Uh, everybody in town gets together and they start a school and they fund it and it works great. They need a hospital. They fund it. It works great. They want to start a temperance league. They do it themselves. They don't wait for any government to do it. He said, it's so unlike Europe where Nobody takes any concern whatsoever for the town in which he lives and thinks that it's run by some some colossally powerful stranger called the government. Well, that happened in America, too. So, you know, were the poor ever neglected in America? No, there were always private charities that took that took care of the poor, the disadvantaged. They were ethnic. They were religious. They were just communal. I mean, and even in my living memory, I I I, I saw this. Uh, so it's never that it's never that people didn't. It's never that society didn't take care of the poor, but they took care of the poor and the disadvantaged in a private way. Now what you've got is a vast government bureaucracy which has all these contractors. So Catholic Social Services now is just a giant government contractor which isn't Catholic in the least. Jewish Social Services, same thing. You know, all of these, all of these organizations that once upon a time brought a kind of uh, real human touch to taking care of people now just do a job because they're because they're working for the government. And you have to ask yourself, do we really have better welfare than we had even 50 years ago or 60 years ago? Um, I would say no. So, the, you know, it, the question really is not, should the larger society be taking care of the disadvantaged? The question is, how should it be doing it? And my answer would be not by the government and not by government contractors. Okay, so... I guess I'll have to accept the premise that if left to their own devices, uh, free people will take care of their own. And always have. Okay. And always have. They used to be the poorhouse. Is that, you know, like poor not debtors in, prison? Not in America, in England. House. In England, there was a poorhouse. We didn't have poorhouses in America. You know, we had we had wonderful charities. This is getting us way off our topic of Clarence Thomas, but... We had, you know, in a city like New York, and you had the same thing in Boston, you know, we had the Catholic protectory that took care of Catholic orphans. We had the Jewish settlement houses that uh, that conducted poor immigrants into American society. They worked great. They really did. They worked fine. So, uh, you know, if you if you here in New York. Pretty much every, every every year, you can read a half a dozen stories about some kid who was in the government foster care system who died because of neglect. And it always turns out that the caseworker wasn't there and watching. But when the caseworker did show up, she knew that there was something terrible going on in that household, but 
didn't want to do anything. And you have to say, wait a minute, that does not work. You know, in the Catholic protectory in the 19th century, kids didn't die. Um, they, they got well taken care of. But my point in saying all of this um, is that we do have now these two parties, the Fairness Party and the, and the Freedom Party. Clarence Thomas is on the Freedom Party side, and what he is trying to do is to restore that original constitution of liberty. And in almost 30 years on the Supreme Court, he's been laying out what even liberal law professors now say as a very coherent, consistent jurisprudential blueprint for how to restore the Constitution to something more like the the original Constitution of Liberty. And he does this by saying, you know, we justices of the Supreme Court don't hesitate for one minute when Congress passes a law that we think is unconstitutional to say, guys, you can't do this. Um, it's unconstitutional. We overturn it. So he says, why should we be more more pious toward the errors of our own predecessors, who, after all, are human and make mistakes, and such as these horrible mistakes of the 1870s de uh, decisions that blew the 14th Amendment out of the water? Why shouldn't we just say, hang on, our predecessors were wrong, and we overturned this decision. His great model is Justice John Mar Marshall Harlan in the late 19th century, who, when faced with... I'm so sorry, I have to break. I'd love to talk to you a little bit right after this. Yeah. Hard break. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's continue. Just I have a, oh, about 10 more minutes worth of questions for our guests. Great guest, actually, calling us out of New York. We have Myron Magnet with us, and his book is Clarence Thomas and the Lost Constitution. So, Myron, what is the process by which we can kind of shed this fourth branch of government, this administrative state? This administrative well, this is what Thomas has been doing in, in uh, opinion after opinion after opinion. So, in 2015, he had a whole string of opinions that are pushing back on the administrative state. You know, he's saying... He's saying this has no comfortable home in our constitutional structure, and he's picking away at the various Supreme Court decisions that delegates power to these bureaucrats who really should not be having such power at all. And he's got a whole series of opinions that are picking away at the, the made-up rights created by the Warren Court, the rights that, for example, said that Criminals can't be interfered with by the, by the police in a lot of circumstances. They, the police can't move gangbangers off their corners. The, uh, schools can't discipline unruly children. Housing projects can't sanction people who are dealing dope out of their, 
out of the art housing project departments. All of these things were made up by the Supreme Court, but they have no basis in the Constitution whatsoever. They're not the business of the federal government whatsoever. And Thomas is saying, come on, we've got to overrule these things. And furthermore, one of the things that's so fascinating about reading his opinions is he says, have you guys ever looked at the real world consequences of these decisions? Have you ever gone into the inner city and seen how people are scared to walk down the street? Or have you ever gone into an inner city school and see that such pandemonium reigns that the kids who want to learn can't learn and housing projects are, you know, a nightmare? Uh, he said, just just think about this. And then he's pushing back against all those Supreme Court decisions that basically are overturning the Bill of Rights. So, you know, he just hit the ceiling over that, that infamous Kelo decision in New, in, uh, New London, Connecticut, which t- tried to take away some lady's house in order to build a whole complex for Pfizer. And it's like, wait a minute. What is our Constitution for if not to protect life, liberty, and property, right? So we, we say people can be, can, you know, are safe from search and seizure in their houses, but their damn houses aren't safe. You're going to tear them down for something that will pay higher taxes to you, the government officials. So he's been pushing back, pushing back, pushing back, showing where these false, faulty, liberty-crushing decisions have been, have been coming from. And, by the way, 20% of the judges elevated to the federal bench by the Trump administration are ex-Clarence Thomas clerks, guys and women, a lot of women, whom he has mentored like they're his children and who just, you know, who, who worship him, I mean, who just love him. And so not only is he setting out this roadmap for clearing away the, the Woodrow Wilson, Franklin Roosevelt debris from the Constitution of Liberty, but he's got the troops in place who can actually carry out this work of reconstruction in the future. And I think, Bradley, that 100 years from now, people are going to look back on this guy and consider him one of the most consequential jurists of his era. So justices like Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, they don't align with him just by accident. They've, they've been watching him for a while. Yeah, and I mean, Kavanaugh has been a staunch critic of the administrative state as an appellate judge. So he's going he's gonna to have uh, support there. And, you know, something interesting happened last week. Um, Thomas, mo- you know, most of his opinions are either dissents or their concurrences with the court's decision, but not with its reasoning, usually because he objects to the precedent that the court is relying on and says it ought to be checked out. Well, last week, he wrote the majority decision in a very technical case, but the point of it is that the case was relying on a precedent that Thomas says is improper and illegitimate, and that the court is going to overturn it. So now Thomas has been arguing this for how many years and been thought to be a cool-gounded right field, and suddenly he's got a majority of the court saying, yep, you're right, we're overturning it. So, you know, there was, some, there was a watershed last week, and it was, uh, it, I think that's the wave of the future. How did you happen to arrive at writing about Clarence Thomas? Is this something you've been 
thinking of for a long time? You've been wanting to do it for a long time? Did, was there a, well, no, it was, you something know, my, happened? My, the book, the book before this that I wrote was called The Founders at Home, and it's a history of the founding told through biographies. And because I wanted to know, you know, what kind of republic did they want and what kind of constitution did they want? And I just was filled with admiration for their achievement. But, you know, then I had a whole series of other questions when I was done, which is, hey, how come we don't have that constitution anymore? And how can we get it back? It happens that I am acquainted with Justice Thomas um, and. You know, I I suddenly thought of him, and I start just started reading his opinions and reading his memoir, and thinking, you know, this is a guy, and I discovered it. I mean, as I then read through his opinions and and read through his speeches and writings, this is a guy who has, in the most coherent way, laid out answers to my questions. You know, the historical answers, the jurisprudential answers. Um, it's a pretty wonderful achievement. And he also writes very clear and beautiful prose. So it's like, you know, it's like a whole college course in the history of the Supreme Court. It's quite wonderful. There's one other thing that I should mention about Clarence Thomas, and that is, you know, he had a real tough childhood um, uh, growing up in segregated Savannah. And uh, his mother gave him and his little brother to to her father to bring up. And her father was this semi-literate but self-made entrepreneur in a very small way. He ran a, he ran a home heating oil delivery business, but small, small. Um, and he, would, he sent the boys to Catholic school because he had converted to Catholicism. He wanted a structured religion, and he wanted them to have it. And uh, he put them to work starting in the third grade in his fuel oil business, delivering oil after school and on weekends. The family owned some acres way down in scrubby Georgia uh, that actually were opposite the place where their ancestors had been enslaved. And starting very early on, he'd take the boys down there and they built a cinder block house with him. And then they cleared the fields and they tilled them. And all summer long, they would grow their own food and raise the animals and then butcher them for food for the winter. So this and his grandfather would urge them on with all these moral maxims like where there's a will, there's a way. And so, you know, what Clarence Thomas says is when I was a boy, even in segregated Savannah, you know, we did we believed that you were responsible for your own fate, that you had to overcome adversity. By effort, and we would read biographies of heroes like George Washington or George Washington Carver and see how not only had they overcome their own difficulties, but they made the world better for other people. He says, now everybody is just harping on victims, 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 and saying, hey, you know, you're not responsible for the condition you're in. It's society, it's capitalism, it's corporations. The government will take care of you. And the large, the large point that I make in my book is that it actually takes a certain kind of individual and national character to be capable of liberty. And Clarence Thomas embodies that character. And you've got to be you got to be ready to step up to the plate and say, hey, I am responsible for what becomes of me. 
It's in my hands. And yeah, you know, all kinds of unexpected thing happens and fate is cruel. But to the extent that you can, you must try to be responsible for yourself. And it's a, it's a, it's not exactly the current orthodoxy to say that. And it's another thing that I admire so about Clarence Thomas. So Myron Magnet, well said and well written. Thank you so much. Oh, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.